First John, chapter 4. First John, chapter 4. The pieces of John are very repetitive in the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of sin, the doctrine of judgment, eternal life, and how we can have the assurance regarding where we stand with God right at the moment. First John chapter 4. Let's let the Spirit of God speak through His Word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That opening phrase or words gives us the truth that there are spirits, at least more than one. And if we are told not to believe every spirit, that means there are spirits in the world that are evil. The Spirit of God is good, and the Spirit of God leads us to truth, into life. But the other spirits will lead a person away from God in the path of death and destruction. So it's very clear there are spirits, plural, in the world. We are not to believe every spirit Then we're told what to do further. Not just don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. In the world we have three divisions. Some would say four. From a Christian perspective, you have Christianity, belief in the one who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, who is eternal life. Then you have other religions, and we can classify the other religions under monotheism and polytheism, which simply means Religions that believe there is one supreme being and those who believe there are multiplicity or many gods. But for the believer, there's also the classification of heathen religions 
and the Jewish religion. We have a closeness to the Jewish religion. Why? Because the Messiah came from the Jewish people. And the entire canon of the Old Testament, canon meaning the the compilation or the order of books or the rule, the measure of truth, that which is accepted as a standard, the canon of scripture that we have as Christians, both Old and New Testaments, which are the Old and New Covenants, 39 of them from the Jewish religion, belong to us also because Jesus Christ spoke those words to the Jewish people. But when the Lord Jesus came to fulfill all of the Old Testament law, meaning the covenant, everything pointing to him as the path to heaven by faith. So, the fulfillment, that Jewish faith or the Jewish religion became obsolete in all of its rituals. So there's a distinction there. You have Christianity, then you have heathen religions, and under heathen religions, generally we don't put Judaism because Christianity came out of Judaism because Jesus was Jewish. He was not any other nationality or ethnic of ethnic background. He was Jewish. He was a Hebrew, technically. This goes back to the fact that there was no such thing as a Hebrew before God tapped a heathen man all the way there in Mesopotamia named Abram, as you know, and he became a Jew. He became someone who God had made a covenant with to start a chosen people. So we have monotheism, polytheism. Christianity is technically monotheistic because we have one God, hero Israel, the Lord, the God is one Lord. But when we look at heathen religions, you also have those who believe in one God, but other than the Jewish faith, where they don't profess Jesus as God or God's Son, in which case, as it says in the Gospel of John and the Epistle of John, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father either. So there's a progressive revelation of who the Son is. Once he came into the world, and it was said that this is the Lamb of God. This is what John the Baptist said to the people. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one we've been waiting for. At that point, all of the Jewish customs and regulations that didn't have to do with the universal moral law of God became obsolete. At that point, Judaism became false religion. When people rejected Jesus but held on to the form or the skeleton or that which was meant to point to Jesus, which was the Judaic law of rituals, customs that God instituted to show people how to be separate from the world. 
So we gain much when we read the Old Testament because it is the Word of God and we see how God always separates light from darkness. You see that right from the beginning in Genesis. He always separates light from darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall never walk in darkness. Once the light of the world has come, everything else is darkness. Jesus came not from darkness. He came from light, light of light, begotten of light. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The Son came, proceeded from the Father into this world. So, if we can follow along, that light that came in, once it was shown for what it is, and John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the ultimate problem and the fundamental problem of the human race, regardless of where someone was born or raised and what they have done in this world. The problem is the universal disease. The Lamb of God has come. The very one who in contrast to the thousands upon thousands of lambs that were slaughtered to temporarily cover the sin, he came to permanently take away the sin. Now if he has come to fulfill the Jewish faith, Jewish religion, the natural or supernatural outworking and outflow culminating in Jesus from this man, Abram, who became Abraham, the Hebrew, the Jew. Everything has come in Jesus now. Everything has come to a conclusion in him. At that point, any adherence to the old covenant becomes useless. So Judaism is is not necessarily heathenistic because, as I said, we come from Judaism, all of us who are believers. Same God. The revelation has come crystal clear now. That God who in sundry times and times past, it says in Hebrews, he spoke through various prophets and all such things. Now he's spoken to us through his son. It's over. This is the ultimate revelation. To reject the ultimate culmination and revelation of God in Christ is to reject God himself. Now under heathen religions, monotheistic heathen religions, you have Islam. But they also believe in one God, but it's not God of the Bible. It's not the truth. Then you have polytheism. Many, many different gods, such as Hinduism and Greek and Roman mythology, their religious traditions, and a host of others. Gods. Many spirits are in the world. Many spirits. God says, don't believe every spirit. What is a spirit? It's something that is immaterial. It is a force, but it is also something that possesses personhood. There's an intelligence there. They're actually beings. So there are beings that are floating around in the world. As we heard the other day, 
in that first heavens, that realm. They're looking to capture the attention and loyalty of human beings so they can slaughter them. It's not a light thing. Religion is not a light thing. Because religion and subscribing to religious beliefs determines the destination eternally of the person, whether it's going to be spiritually fatal or spiritually life-giving. So you have Christianity, then you have other religions, Judaism being distinct from the others, even though obsolete. You have the heathen religions, you have the monotheistic and polytheistic, one or many gods, as they believe. Then you have atheism and agnosticism, where agnostics claim that they just don't know. Ah, is before that. Gnostic or Gnosticism. Knowing, not knowing. I don't know. It's a negation of knowledge. I don't know. There are people who say, I don't know if there's a God. I'm not willing to say there is or there isn't. I just don't know. And there are those who say, I know there's no God. Spirits. Spirits come. And they come to cater to the pride and the particular bent, if you will, of people. They have people figured out. The entire human race, no matter how cultured, educated, professional, or successful, or community-oriented, and living a happy life. Why? Because money is there, family is there, house, car, health to a degree access to leisure and pleasure and travel, what more do you want? The spirits that actually ask that question. What more do you want? What could you possibly want? Sad to say, there are people who come to Jesus for those things and they say, give me this. Just give me this. Now go on my way. Like the prodigal son. I want to be someone who would like to be happy. Jesus, can you do that for me? I want to be someone who needs pleasure. Can you give me pleasure? Can you give me leisure? Can you give me things and people? I want to be in the, in with the beautiful people, the people who enjoy, the people who seem to matter and they actually place value on other people based on what they have and don't have. There are spirits behind this. So they control the thinking. Religion controls the thinking of a person. And their path in life and how they relate to other people too can be very powerful. But what about the person who says, I don't believe in it. Ah, I don't need religion. I believe in me. They're deceived by an evil spirit. Because no man made himself. We didn't make ourselves. So they're in deception. What will they pursue? Hedonism. They pursue pleasure or power, gratify the self, whatever makes them feel good, essentially. Even in the pursuit of doing things for the community or humanity, such as uh, inventions and explorations, 
ventures into science and other things, trying to achieve something. They're believing another spirit, not God's spirit. Not every spirit is from God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Many Christians think when the Bible speaks of other spirits, it's something like some voodoo spirit or some other occultic type of thing or some demon. They're correct, but they fail to recognize that there are spirits that people don't even know how to characterize, yet they're being controlled by them. Because they're open, fair game for them. If we don't have Jesus, all of these other spirits, one and more than one, will catch a human being to slaughter them. And the way the devil operates is he loves wholesale slaughter. You infect one person, you persuade one person, you deceive one person. The next thing, next goal is to use that person whatever way possible to deceive someone else too and get the family of deception growing. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Examine. That means we need to know. We need to have a standard. We can't test something unless we have a standard. How do you test a metal? How do you do a blood test? How do you test the, the, the blood, the plasma? How do you test something for its value? How do you test somebody's knowledge? There's got to be a standard. In other words, here is the rubric, here is the answer key. Now I have something I can test by, if you will. We have a standard. The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ. The standard, the way, the truth, and the life. The question is, as believers, are we are we able to test these different voices? We can say the spirits are voices because they're persons, they're personalities. And the voices won't come necessarily as a separate entity like the serpent in the Garden of Eden talking with Eve, but the voices can come as subtly, as quickly, as invisibly, as the voice that came to Peter, Simon Peter, who went directly against God's plan under the guise of humanistic love to stop Jesus from going to the cross. The Lord turned around and said, Get behind me, Satan. Don't think about the things of God. That's not what you're after. But the things of man, you see how it is so inextricably tied together with man's thoughts. What? Demonic thoughts. So when people get together or they think individually and they want to do something, there's always a driving force. What are you doing? Is it God's will? But how would you know? How would you know what's actually telling you or actually speaking right through you and you don't even know? Like Peter was not aware. Must have shocked him when Jesus said that. Looking at him, Satan, get behind me. Gives us a great insight into how 
our thoughts, yes, even as believers. Otherwise, this chapter here has no merit whatsoever, no bearing for us. It's like us reading about pre-conversion or uh, apostates, ones who have fallen away from the faith. No, he's writing to beloved, active members, if you will, of the body of Jesus Christ. That's us. He's warning us. At the end, at the end, John actually says, keep yourself from idols. What? To believers? Right there at the end of chapter 5. Keep yourself from idols. And he says, little children. First John 5.21. All of these warnings are for people who don't want to fall away and be deceived by other spirits. Which means it's absolutely possible to be deceived as believers by voices and impulses that are not from the Father, not from the Son, not from the Holy Spirit, other spirits. So every thought and every plan, every desire, every huddle, if you will, when we get together with people, must be tested. For that, we need to have some kind of integrity. Some kind of integrity that I really want to do only God's will. I'm not going to live by my feelings. I got, I've got to know what is God's will. And I want to hear His voice only. If I don't have a desperate desire for it, I will be a good candidate as a believer for living a carnal life quite often. Which means I'm actually engaging in serving Satan while claiming to believe God even if I don't know it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. It's not just a a spooky voice or something that appears in someone's room suddenly. They see something. Feelings. Peter had a feeling. He had a strong feeling. Can you blame Peter? He had a strong feeling that my, my heart's starting to pound over here. Because the Lord's talking about dying. I will not allow... No. He was adamant. Can you blame him? He loved Jesus. He really did. But that love all of a sudden had an injection of a potentially lethal poison. It's mixed in with the serpentine. False love. It got in there somehow. What did Peter know? Did he have a conversation with the devil like Eve in the Garden of Eden? No, not at all. He had no conversation, but there was something going on within him where he was not aware that he's supposed to test what? The spirits? Where? Peter, where are the spirits? I don't see any other spirit. The spirit that was talking to him to make him say something, not from him, but from that spirit, the evil spirit. Do you believe that Satan can speak through you? 
you believe the potential exists? While we're on probation on this earth, if you don't believe it, you're deceived. And you're either ignorant or arrogant. God says, not only by precept, but by examples, it can happen. So be on guard. Hallelujah. I thank God. I love it when God tells me, watch out for this and that. I love it. I love it because I know it's for my safety. Are you thankful for that? Do you read these things and say, oh, I have a certain feeling about it? How about your dad and mom when you grew up? How about your older brother, older sister, or some mentor? When you were about to fall into a pit, they came along just at the right time and said, you don't want to do that. Don't go that way. I know what you feel and you're okay, you know, deep down inside. But I'm telling you that path is not good for you. That person is not good for you. Stay away. Or your action is going to come back and hurt you. Don't do it this way. How many of us are thankful for that? How many of us value that? Do we understand that? Here is who? The one who has no counselor. The one who is the ultimate counselor. God himself. And he says to me and to you, to you and to me, just like he says, dearly beloved children, behold what manner of God, that manner of uh, love, God the Father has given us, placed upon us, that we should be called as children. The whole epistle is addressed to children, beloved, or little children. Children. If you're a child of God, God is talking to you. Know that there are spirit. Yes, even when you're having a great time and you're worshiping and you had a great time with the Lord and with the people of God, what happens in the apartment when the meeting is over? What happens in the home when you come back from church? When you're on the way to church or from church? You take it further. What happens in this very sanctuary of God? Do you know in the Old Testament, right in God's presence, people received and believed evil spirits. They did all kinds of things, evil things. And you see, in the first century, things hadn't changed as far as the potential that evil spirits are still around. And their number one target is you and me. So they will come and see how I can influence this person. Even if it's little by little, just to get away from God, please. Get away from God's presence. They won't come in that way, talking like that. But they come with feelings, impulses, you know what? Feeling doesn't have to be something that, oh, I hate this, or I love this. It can be, ah, indifference. 
or I don't feel like it, I'm bored. That's also an impulse. That's also a persuasion. It's a process. That the devil will try to wear somebody down in the so-called sport of boxing. Because I'm familiar with it. People seldom don't go into the ring and deliver a knockout blow. But they have something called a feeler to measure and gauge the opponent. It's called a jab. And so they keep throwing out this kind of non-heavy punch to do a lot of assessing, to discover the distance between the persons involved in that combat, to know the reactions, to figure out the strategies, the strengths, the weaknesses, So these things happen also in the spiritual realm. And we need to know how we think and why we think a certain way. Is it from God or not? It says because, why should we test the spirits? Because Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we see here also spirits. Unlike in the Garden of Eden with Peter. Can also speak through people. And bring lies. And the biggest lies. That are. Eternally fatal. Is the lie that you can sin. And still get to heaven because you're covered by the blood. Or he paid it all and you don't have to worry about it. You couldn't do it and that's why he did it. So why bother? If you already fulfilled it on the cross because he's perfect, you're not. Why are you worrying about trying to measure up to the standard because you can't? That's why he came. The devil really packages his lies well for the unsuspecting. Ignorant and or arrogant person who's supposed to be a believer. He doesn't give the whole truth. He may give a part of it, twist it. He doesn't say that once the Son of God comes in, you have the superpower within you to knock sin down every single time it comes and knocks on your door. You have greater authority and power in Jesus' name than any force of hell They'll try to come and wrestle you or outbox you or knock you out. You have the knockout power. As a believer, according to Jesus, you're supposed to have knockouts every time you engage the devil. Not you, but the devil and demons getting knocked out. Not because of your own power, but because of God's power. That's what God expects. If you don't understand that, then we will be listening to the devil doing his will while thinking we're Christians and we can just blame us, our sins upon our own weakness because, hey, it's God's fault. He made me this way. How many times in Christianity, in this 
evil so-called psychology that even some Christian leaders use. A man does things because he's wired a certain way. Certain hormonal tendencies. Same thing with women. God knows we're not perfect and so certain things happen and it's just part of the package. We all fail. We all sin. Certain people are given to certain things more than others. As the what? Direct or indirect blame squarely upon God. He made me this way. No. God didn't create man to sin and rebel. He doesn't create lies or darkness or evil. Everything God creates is good. And in Christ Jesus, perfection has come. So long as we follow Him, we'll never stumble in the darkness, the Bible says. If we follow God's Spirit, we know how to discern His Spirit. We will never fall for any evil spirit, whether it comes through a false prophet, a person, whether it comes into our minds, where there's a dialogue happening, or a spirit shows up in the room and you can see it, there's a supernatural encounter, or there's just a feeling that I should go and do this, I should say that. If we're walking in the spirit, we'll know, okay, that particular thought, even though it appears good, that's from Satan, the killer. He's trying to set me up. No, no, that's not God's will. How do you get to that? How do you get to that level of discernment? First, you have to believe God's word when he says, many spirits are out there. And because we're in Christ, doesn't mean we're immune to the other spirits. Even if we don't watch how we walk. We need to accept that. And as I've outlined a few different ways and how they can come, these are very, very critical, important to know that very thoughts and feelings, even feelings and sensations must be tested because remember, we're still on probation. We're still not complete until we get to heaven in the sense that we're not in a place where there will be zero temptation, zero evil spirits, no more probation. We're not there yet. But here's where God's superiority, supremacy, reigns by grace within our mortal bodies, within us. We're able to actually overcome every time the devil shows up, as we heard recently, step on him. Step on the serpent. Not just anywhere, on the head, crush it. Through the power of Jesus. Because many false prophets, who are what? Guided by evil spirits. A false prophet is not just someone who decided, I want to think and do something like this and start something. No, there are evil spirits behind the person. By this you know the spirit of God. John's uh, dealing with a particular kind of evil persuasion. In his day, in which he's still around, such as in these pseudo or false, false Christian cults, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, all of these false things, they claim to believe in the Bible, these movements. By this you know the Spirit of God. It's not the only way, but this is one of the major ways, especially in dealing with that evil persuasion that was trying to take believers down in the church by confusing them. 
John, by the Spirit of God, says every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And to be doubly clear, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit that opposes Christ, which is the devil. You see a person that's actually going to come about, who is the Antichrist. He's going to be filled with the devil. Take a whole bunch of people down, threaten them. Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. All the things I stated are absolutely valid. With this specific point that John was bringing out by the Spirit of God. Because voices came to people like Joseph Smith and the Mormonisms, Mormon religion, Charles Taze Russell and Joe's Witness. I believe it's Mary Edie Baker and Christian Science and other pseudo or false Christian movements. Voices came. Some people saw or heard angels. Where'd that come from? I thought the angels were from God. No, not all angels from God. The Bible speaks of fallen angels. There are demons who are the angels of the devil. They also can come masquerading as an angel of light. They also can come and give some some uh, so-called deep hidden or esoteric wisdom that can just wow people, make them feel less amazing. But they take a person away from life, from the truth, from Jesus. And so the devil says, look, if you want to insist on having Jesus, Charles, Mary, Joseph, the founders of these religions and the spokespeople for the devil, leading a lot of people astray with false prophecy, so-called spirituality. The devil came to them. People who were, at least in some cases, otherwise Bible-believing Christians. The devil came and said, you know what? Hell is just its too much. It doesn't make any sense. You can't possibly have hell. How can a good God have a hell and send people there? He got young Charles' attention and he found a person to speak to him. Somebody who taught him lie after lie. He came up with a Joe Witness's religion where they believed that Jesus Christ is not God, meaning God didn't come in the flesh. What do you have if you don't have that? Well, you have no salvation because if Jesus Christ is not God, he can't save anybody. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The same thing with Christian science and Mormonism. Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Mormons believe that you can become perfected like Jesus was perfected. He was just someone that we need to follow the path. We also can become like him but he's not a person who died on the cross to save us from our sins. How treacherous. We can't get anywhere without the cross. 
without his atoning death on the cross and him rising from the dead supernaturally on the third day for our justification, an ungodly person, which is every member of the human race, has no chance of getting to heaven. But the devil takes bits and pieces. And he can give an eclectic type of faith and religion. The person says, well, I'm going to get the best of the East and best of the West and put it all together and cook it together and here's my belief. I like that love from Christianity. I also like the rituals from that religion. I like the dogma or the beliefs uh, of social activism from that particular faith. And I'll take some from here and say, why not? I can make myself. Isn't that wonderful? Well, this is what the devil said to Eve. You don't have to be limited and restricted. You can actually improve on whatever you seem to know from God. Let's make some improvements, girl. But the devil came and said, basically. Let me show you how to get really wise. Let me show you how to get your needs met and your pleasures met. Let me show you what power is. You're no ordinary person. You have a lot of potential. Let me show you exactly how to make the most of your quote-unquote faith. A slithering, lying Satan. He comes to men and women today, even in the body of Christ, to show them how to improve and be more popular, more filled with zest and your personality and your everything's wow, feeling, 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 feelings. And people pleasing, people's approval. When kid comes to school, everyone is wearing the same baseball cap. New kid on the block does not wear baseball cap. But he goes home crying. Maybe the Christian parents. They all think I'm the ugly duckling. I'm weird because everybody wears a baseball cap and I'm not wearing it. Can you please get me a baseball cap? I can't stand being looked at as an oddball and strange, inferior. I just don't feel right when I go to school, even though I'm the smartest. Mom and dad get a baseball cap. Then they say, you got the wrong cap, son. The kid said this. Can you see the team, the emblem there, the logo? That's the one you got to get. Kid goes home crying. They told me I had the wrong cap. Well, that's what the Lord said about the generation regarding how they treated John the Baptist and even Jesus Christ. They'll hate you either way. Don't try to dance to the tune. We need to have that kind of spiritual spine especially when we think about our children and next generation, those who have children, those who are going to have children, how will we ever impart that rock-solid faith, loyalty to Jesus Christ, like those three Hebrew young men in the fire, Daniel in the lions, how 
will we ever impart this as things get more and more dark? More and more evil spirits are very active in these last days. What chance do you have? And if you don't have physical children, your spiritual children, how can you impart this? If you don't have it yourself. If you have come to a point where you said, I don't dance to anybody's tune. I don't care who roots for who, who does what. I belong to Jesus exclusively. He's my everything. If anything doesn't fit with his plan and will for my life, I have, can any of us here say, I have even no pleasure or leisure time away from Jesus. What a thrilling life to be a real disciple. Say, everything that I do, everything in my life, God can be pleasing to God. He's the one my heart beats for. Everything that we have, everything that we like to do, there comes a point in which we understand that if Jesus is life, then I have to point everyone to Jesus no matter what I do. There are no compartments in my life where I feel, ah, I got a break now. It's getting kind of hot over there, you know, getting too close to God and now I can breathe. I can do my own thing. That's a persuasion from another spirit. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. The world didn't want to hear John the Baptist. They didn't want to hear Jesus. But other prophets, they gladly heard. Why? Because they tickled their itching ears, you see? They were wonderful. They let you be who you want to be irrespective of a holiness code that God gave. A total surrender mode that God gave. No, 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 no. You go this far with Jesus. When you want to do your own thing, you tell the Lord, please stay here and I'll be right back. I want to let loose a little bit, unwind a little bit. I want to act a little bit like the world here, Lord. You know, I feel like I need that and I'll be back. Verse 6, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Then he goes on to speak about love. What does love really mean? How do we show love, God's love, God's kind of love? And how, if we love, and only if we love like God loves, can we claim to know God and be called the children of God? Very clear in this epistle. So it behooves us to really study this and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I've been a Christian for so many years or I've done this and that and I feel pretty good about myself. But can I claim to know you, Lord, if I don't have your kind of love? How do I see and test for this kind of love in my life? Where am I? Do I have the spirit of truth or the spirit of error? Who have I, have I been listening to? Why do I have these outbursts? And why do I get off the course now and then and, and feel guilty and I hush it down by doing something else, trying to balance the scales? Why this game? What's going on? Who have I been listening to actually? Even when I've been sitting in church, listening to the truth perhaps, or in many people's cases, listening to error right from the pulpit. What are the chances of that person? 
really becoming a disciple of Jesus. Slim to none. Because you have, from the very place where truth has to come, unhindered, unadulterated, you have a mixture of lies or whole lies. What's going to happen to the person? It's not happening in a pseudo-Christian place. Many times it happens in places where the pastor saved, but he actually has a love affair with the world in various ways, and it comes out. And people say, I love that guy. You know, when I'm around him or her, I feel like I can breathe. You know, it's not like the stifling thing where I have to be in the straight and narrow path and I have to watch out for this. I like him. He says, go ahead, play hockey. Watch some people hurt each other and you do too. Make sure you have the proper equipment. Even if your teeth get knocked out, make sure you have a good dentist who can fix you up and you can still take pictures. You need to understand all the ways in which the devil comes to persuade us that really giving everything to God it's like that fighter pilot, you know, getting into that plane, saying it's all go. It's do or die. I'm about to embark on a mission for my country or a particular cause. I know what's at stake, but you know what? I'm not thinking about anyone right now. I'm thinking about the mission and the noble virtue of even dying for my country. I'm ready. Let's go. Full throttle. What makes a person do that? Well, they're persuaded that this is it. The adrenaline rush, just the thrill. And hey, even if I die, I'm going to have a legacy. People are going to talk about me. You know, some people live for that. But when it comes to God and eternity, Christians become often very cowardly and even indifferent, which is not, as I mentioned several times before, it's not a harmless thing at all. Very dangerous to be indifferent when it comes to God's things especially. God wants us to be on fire. And somebody said, well, I'm not that kind of personality. I'm kind of laid back and I don't like to take life too seriously and I just don't want to make any waves. I, leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Let's call it a day and enjoy the night and whatever we need to do. Let's just relax. In a war, spiritual war, which we're engaged in from the day we're born again. We can't afford to relax. At the same time, doesn't mean that we can't have a tremendous experience of supernatural serenity, even in the midst of a blazing fire. Oh, that's precious beyond compare. To have fellowship with God in the fire, come out pure than gold. Blessed be God's name.